Uh, honey, it's your turn. I'm up. I'm up. I'm up. Okay. I'll let you sleep. Why don't you let me sleep? Ow. You giving me dirty looks isn't gonna make the light turn sooner, buddy. Yes, I know. I only have 159 more copies to make, so of course I'd like to hear about your aunt's 12-hour abdominal surgery. Yes, ma'am. You're right. You're always right. I'll redo the entire presentation. People are crazy. Oh, sounds like it was a hard day. Maybe tomorrow will be better. Thanks, honey. Good morning, New City Church. Great to see all of you on this uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Grateful to have each of you here for worship today. We're going to continue our series, Sandpaper People, and we're going to be talking today about confronting the offense, a very important message. Before we get into it, I want to give a little bit of New City Church family news. First of all, how many of you have the app, the New City app? How many of you have that? Awesome. How many of you look at the app? You actually, you open the app. You look, awesome. Hey, the, the New City app is a, is a great tool that we use for communication here. And we want all of you to have it because it's one of the primary ways that we give weekly announcements. You can take notes on the sermon. Did you know that? You can take all the outlines for the sermons are downloaded there. You can take notes and email them to people who couldn't be here or to yourself. You can go back and listen to sermons that you missed or you want to listen to again or share with other people. You can find all the weekly announcements. Um, so again, if, if you weren't here, you can find them there. Or if you need to send them to someone who was sick today or had the flu and they wanted to catch up with everything that's happening in the church, you can send that to them. So many great um, tools that are, uh, that are right there in the New City app for you in terms of communication. And we want you to have that and be regularly checking it. Um, you can find out about events that are happening. There's, there's so many things that are uh, going on all the time. You can catch up with giving and where we are with that. All the things that maybe you want to catch up with and understand about New City can be found on the app. So again, if you don't have it, you can find it uh, where you get apps for your Android device, for your iPhone. It's available there. If you do have it, just want to encourage you to continue to use it uh, on a regular basis. One of the events that you'll find on the app if you open it today is New City Date Night. New City Date Night. Jen and I would love to have uh, married couples join us on February 21st, uh, just under two weeks, Friday night, February 21st, for our first New City Date Night. Uh, our friends Jeff and Laura Helton, two counselors, are going to be with us, and we're going to be talking about the importance of personality in marriage. The importance of understanding your personality, understanding your spouse's personality, how that works together, how God's wired you up and designed you into his image, but also how he's made you different and how you need to understand that. So we're going to have a, a very robust and very kind conversation with each other about personality, uh, be a chance for you to meet other couples in the church. You're going to be given some resources. So you can register online at our events page. You can go on the app and you can register there. And across our campuses today at Connection Point, uh, you can go there and register in person. Really want you to be there. This event will fill up. So uh, if you're interested in coming February 21st, I uh, want to encourage you to, to, to get registered as soon as possible. Let's pray together before we jump into God's word. God, thank you for this day that you've made. We as your people, we rejoice and we're glad in it. We want you above all to be lifted up today, Jesus, and you've promised that as you are lifted up, you will draw 
all people to yourself. So would you draw us closer to you today, Jesus, as we open up your word that we believe is eternal, that has the power to to correct us, to encourage us, to make us more like you. We pray that it would do all those things and more today for your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said together, amen. Healthy confrontation. Is there such a thing? Healthy confrontation. Some of you might think that those two words are an oxymoron, that they don't go together, sort of like jumbo shrimp, that you can't really have healthy confrontation. But the truth is, the truth is that according to God's word, there is such a thing as healthy confrontation. The the definition of confrontation or one of the definitions of confrontation is to face a challenge or a struggle. To face a challenge or a struggle. And too often in relationships, especially in difficult relationships, we don't face a challenge or a struggle, we do what? We tweet about a challenge or a struggle. We gossip about a challenge or a struggle. We avoid a challenge or a struggle. But actually confrontation done according to God's word can be a healthy thing, a unifying thing, a very loving thing. Uh, Jen and I have had to learn this in a very difficult way in our marriage. Um, we both came from, of course, different family systems and backgrounds. My, my, my family, just our kind of mode of confrontation was, was avoidance. Any of you ever grew up in a family like that? You grew up in a family where you just, you didn't really talk about the, the problems or the challenges. A lot of families' systems are like this. You sort of sweep it under the rug until the rug gets pretty lumpy and you start tripping over that. But, but you, don't, you don't talk about those type things. Jen grew up in a family that was the exact opposite uh, she has three younger brothers, and so I, I'll lovingly call her the chief, and she just to keep all those three brothers in line, and they would, would go at it with each other. I remember the first time I went and visited her in, in her home, and it was, we did a game night, and it was like, it was a battle, and the rule book was out, and there was yelling, and there was a lot of finger pointing, and then everybody just, you know, just hugged each other and we all went out for ice cream. That was just the way that it worked. They didn't mind mixing it up. So you can imagine when we came together, I grew up in a family system where you just, you don't really talk about conflict. Conflict's negative. It's, it's not a good thing. Jen grew up in a family system where never afraid to, to have conflict and, and, to, and to go at it. And we missed each other. And, 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 and to be honest with you, we, we hurt each other unnecessarily because I would avoid conflict, and Jen interpreted that as, you don't care enough about me to, to have this, this conflict. And, and, and we just missed each other, and, and we ended up uh, with a, an amazing counselor who walked us through how to have healthy conflict. And it's been one of the greatest tools in our relationship is learning how to fight fair and have a really healthy confrontation facing a challenge or a struggle. It can happen. And that's what God wants in our relationships, is to face challenges or struggles, but in grace and in love and with the goal of unity. The Bible says in Psalm 133, verse 1, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to live together in unity. When the family of God can live in unity with one another, God is pleased. It's a pleasant thing. God desires for us to live in unity. And one of the pathways towards unity and closeness and intimacy is healthy conflict. Let me say that again. The pathway to unity, to oneness, is oftentimes through healthy conflict. Of learning how to face challenges and struggles in relationship, but to do it in a godly manner. 
In fact, all throughout the scriptures, God speaks about this, our unity with one another, the way we treat one another in relationships, even in difficult relationships with sandpaper people who rub us the wrong way, how we lift up Jesus and how we come together through healthy confrontation. One of those passages is found in Ephesians chapter 4. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to open to Ephesians chapter 4. If you have the New City app, it's already preloaded there. So you can look right there on the notes in the outline, and the passage is right there for you to take notes. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look specifically today at verses 14 through 16 as we talk about this thing called healthy confrontation. The Apostle Paul, just by way of context where you're turning there, is writing to the church at Ephesus. A church just like our church, a local church that has all kinds of issues and struggles, has good things happening. And in this chapter, chapter 4 specifically, he's writing in the context of unity with one another. And then after this passage, he's going to continue that theme by talking about how we live out this new life that we have in Jesus. Did you know that you're a new creation in Christ? God hasn't just come to make you better, he came to make you new. And Paul is writing here in Ephesians chapter 4 about the unity that we have together with one another and how to maintain that unity in relationship to God and one one another. But he's also going to talk about how to live out and walk this new life that we have now in Jesus, particularly in relationship with one another. And if you read further on in chapter 4 in Ephesians, it's not just with one another, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, it's also with our neighbors with all people, how we live out this new life of Jesus in relationship to each other. But let's look at our passage specifically today in verses 14 through 16. Paul writes these words, the word of God to you today. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by, listen to these words, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's a, a mouthful. Lots of, lots of different thoughts and ideas that would want to pull you away from God's truth, Paul's saying here. Then he says this in verse 15, rather, so we're not going to be pulled away by false doctrine, by human craftiness and schemes and different ideas about, about how to live life and relationship to each other and, and all the different things that are out there, different teachings. We're not going to live according to those things anymore. Rather, so he's going to tell you now how we are going to live. We're going to speak the truth in what? In love. We're going to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This is the definition of discipleship. To grow up, to become more and more like Jesus. Not to become a better version of myself. This is not six steps to a better you. This is how do I grow up into Jesus? How do we become more like Christ? Paul says, first of all, we're going to speak the truth in love to one another. We're going to grow up in every way. Circle that in your Bibles or underline it on your phones. In every way into Christ. In our words, in our actions, in our thoughts, we're going to become more like Jesus. And then verse 16, Ephesians 4. From whom the whole body, that is all Christ's followers, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped... When each, listen to this, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul is writing to us about how we treat one another. And he's going to continue and it's going to spill over into how we treat our neighbors, even those who are not Christ followers. Every relationship is affected 
by this new life and love that we have in Jesus. And in verse 15, specifically Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives the key for this in relationship. We're going to do what? We're going to speak the truth in love. We're going to grow up as we speak the truth in love to one another. Not to make other people like us or agree with us and vote the way we vote or pull for the same teams that we pull for or think the way that we think. We're going to grow up into Jesus as we speak the truth in love to each other. The truth in love, the spoken truth of God in love is the basic necessity of every godly relationship. To be able to communicate the truth but in the context of love That's the cornerstone of godly Christian relationships, no matter what the relationship is. And moreover, in your relationships, even with people that you would say are sandpaper people in your life that rub you the wrong way, our call is to treat them with Christian friendship and love and humility and kindness. If something is said in truth, but it's not said in love, it's oftentimes not heard. And if something is said in love or kindness, but there's not truth, it's not actually loving. If I say something flattering to you or kind to you, but it's not truthful, it's not actually something that can build you up at all. But if I say something that's true, hey, this is true, but I say it in in a manner that's not loving or kind or unifying towards you, oftentimes it can't be heard. Anyone with me? So, so during this series, we've been talking about how we handle specifically people that rub us the wrong way. But, but we learned in, in the first message that we all have sandpaper people. We all are sandpaper people, and God uses sandpaper people. And sometimes we're our own sandpaper people. And we've got to begin to speak the truth and love in all of those relationships. And we talked about four life-changing, relationship-changing principles that we're sharing during this series. And it started, go back and listen to it if you missed it, with accepting the person. Even the person that rubs you the wrong way, especially the person that rubs you the wrong way, that you see them as a person who was made in the image of God and that God desires to be in right relationship with and maybe, just maybe, might be using you to share that love with them. Last week we talked about what? Forgiving the hurt, a very important message. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. Forgive the hurt. Before you do anything, and not contingent on that person doing anything towards you, you can forgive the hurt because of what? Because of what Christ has done for you, that you've been forgiven. Remember we talked about the unmerciful servant who is forgiven much but doesn't want to go and forgive others. And the lesson that Jesus is teaching is as you've been forgiven, you do what now? You go and forgive and offer mercy to others. We forgive the hurt. Today we're talking about speaking the truth in love and specifically confronting the offense. Notice I didn't say confront the person. Confront the offense. Oftentimes we get this confused and we go and we want to confront the person instead of confronting the issue, confronting the actual offense. And those two get confused. And here's the bottom line truth that I want you to take with you today. Confront the offense, don't condemn the person. Confront the offense, don't condemn the person. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to what? I came to save the world. Jesus confronted our offense. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table today. 
a, a remembrance and a celebration of his grace of confronting our sins and our offenses and dealing with them. But he did not condemn us as people and we're meant to do the same. We confront the offense, but we don't condemn the person. And again, too often we get those confused. So before we leave here today and everybody runs out of service and we start confronting each other, or you try to get to your car before anybody confronts you, all right, let, let me just teach a little bit about this whole idea of confronting the offense. And juxtapose it with what too often happens in culture, but also in Christian circles. And that is combating the person. There's a difference between combat and confrontation, according to God's truth. Confrontation, as we learn, can be the pathway to intimacy. It can be facing a, a struggle or a challenge in a relationship in a godly, loving way, speaking the truth in love. Combat, the goal of combat is what? To win. The goal of combat is to win. If you've been in a military training exercise, you've gone through any of that, you learn about combat. Every single day in officer training school, even for chaplains, we were learning the goal of why we're there, to fly, fight, and win at all cost. We would sing the song every day for the Air Force. To, we, we're going we're gonna to live in fame or we're going to go down in flame. Nothing can stop the U.S. Air Force. And we'd sing it over and over again. Great for a combat unit. Not so good in relationships. But we carry that idea in relationships, don't we? We're going to live in fame in the relationship. In other words, I'm going to win and be known for that or I'm going to go down in flame. I'm going to fire every single bolt that I have going down. And too oftentimes we combat with the person instead of confronting the offense in a godly manner. And so our, our weapon, if you will, in combat, verbally and oftentimes relationally, is a sledgehammer, isn't it? We're just, we're just hacking away. We're just, we're just whatever, whatever it hits, it hits. There's a lot of verbal collateral damage in combat with people. And again, my goal is just to win the argument. If it's, if it's 199, you might have inflicted a lot of damage on me, but I got one more blow in on you, so I win. And again, even in Christian circles, the way that we handle and deal with conflict among each other, we come, we come to, to combat, and, and too oftentimes we use our words and our actions to, to win and not to restore. In combat, I don't mind harming the person if I can win the argument and I can feel better about what's going on. Any of you ever been in a, a combat situation with someone, relationally, on the way to church today? Doesn't feel good. And when I feel hurt, what do I want to do? What do hurt people do? They hurt people. When I feel hurt, then I want to inflict hurt. And even in my most loving relationships, okay, friendships, marriages, uh, co-working relationship, people that you're the closest to. When you feel hurt, you want to hurt. And oftentimes it devolves into combat with one another and not confronting an actual offense. If you go into a conversation, especially with a sandpaper person, and your motive is to confront the person and not the issue or the offense, you're on the path to combat. And the goal becomes to win an argument or to be proven right. And juxtaposition of this confronting, godly confrontation, the goal is restoration. And it's to bring unity between us. 
The goal is restoration. And so I don't bring a sledgehammer into the conversation with that person. I bring a scalpel. And, and I'm going to say the, the precise words that I need to and, and, and not more than I need to, to be able to talk about the issue and, and get that infection, whatever it is in the relationship, to be able to name it and to cut that out of the relationship. I'm not going to come in with a sledgehammer hitting the person over the head. I'm going to come in with a scalpel trying to get this part, this issue, this offense out of the relationship. Does that make sense? Uh, Jim was out of town a couple weeks ago, and some of you know we have three kids. We have two teenagers and a 10-year-old who's acting like a teenager. So we have basically three teenagers. So pray for us. We pray for you guys. Pray, pray for us. Lots of yelling in the house right now. Lots of crying in the house. Somebody's always upset. Somebody's all kinds of stuff. Lots of drama in our house right now. My 14-year-old son, the, this was Jim's out of that, you know, um, away and, and with some girlfriends for the weekend. I have the kids. I was doing a pretty good job, I think, for the most part. Everybody was fed and alive and, and, and well. But my son kept complaining um, about his toe hurting. And I grew up, my mom, my mom is a nurse. My mom is here today. Uh, my, my mom uh, would always basically say my mom loved us. My mom loved us very much. But my mom as a nurse would say like, hey, just take some Advil and drink some orange juice. That was kind of the answer to everything. <laughs> but with my mom, just have some, drink, you know, have some Advil and drink some orange juice. So what did I say to my son? My, my dad, my toe is really hurting. You need just take some Advil and drink some orange juice. And we went through the whole weekend that way. And then like he, the next week, like Tuesday, Wednesday, the following weekend, um, everybody's back and I get a call from the school, from the school nurse. Uh, Mr. Payne, you need to come down here. Your, your Jackson's in the office here and something's really wrong with his toe. And his toe was like, was like three times the size of, it's a huge infection. So dad of the year award, uh, the Advil and orange juice didn't work. We went to uh, a, a, our pediatrician and he took a scalpel. I'm not going to go too far into this, but he had, to la- he had to lance his toe and there was a huge infection. And he, he doesn't mind me sh- sharing with you. He, he was, you know, he was crying it, 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 and, it, and it was hard to watch. But our pediatrician who we love so much just said to him, Jackson, you know, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm, I'm really trying to help you. And I know this hurts, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to heal your toe. And I thought, that's such a great picture, right, in relationship, that, that sometimes challenging conversations, right, sometimes challenging conversations, even the ones that don't feel good can bring health when the goal of the confrontation is restoration and unity. If you think about it, some of the most life-changing conversations you've probably ever had have been ones that aren't always pleasant, but someone who loves you, loves you, loves you, is speaking the truth to you in love and trying to help you and both of you grow up to be more like Jesus. We have too many people in our lives, and I could talk about this for a long time, but we have too many people in our lives that just tell us what we wanna hear. And we surround ourselves with people that tell us what we want to hear. I love what Annie Stanley says. He says, you know, people who stop listening surround themselves with people who have nothing to say. People who stop listening as, as, as leaders, as husbands, as wives, as friends, as coworkers, people who stop listening surround themselves with people who have nothing of value to say. And I'm afraid sometimes that happens even in, in, in our closest relationships, that we surround ourselves with people who will never challenge us or speak the truth in love to us. So, so here's, here's an application 
as we talk about this, this third principle, especially in difficult relationships of naming an offense in love and going to that person and actually instead of gossiping about it or tweeting about it, about it or, get, or getting resentful and just having conversations that are very inappropriate, actually naming the offense and bring, bringing restoration and, and unity to the relationship. Here are three questions to ask before you confront the offense. And if you're not taking notes at this point, I wanna encourage you to take down these three questions. As you think about in all relationships, but especially your difficult relationships, how do we speak the truth in love, what Paul instructs us here, but how do we do it in a way that honors Jesus and brings restoration in the relationship? Here's, here's the first question. Can I step over this? Can I step over the offense? You know, I need to accept the person, I need to forgive the hurt. I don't think we always have to confront every single offense. In fact, if you confront every single offense in your life, you're gonna be confronting nonstop. And if you're looking, we, we live in a very offended culture. Everyone's offended. This is offensive, I'm offended. Everyone's offended. It, if you're looking to be offended, you're always gonna be offended. And if you're having to confront every single offense, that's all you're going to do all throughout your day is confront offenses. The Bible actually says that we can cover an offense. We can step over an offense. And sometimes you can't and you need to move towards godly, not combat, confrontation. But if I can cover the offense, if I can move on without having to confront that, if it doesn't do any good for that person or for me in the relationship, can I step over the offense? Listen to what the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 17, verses 9 through 10. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Here's how Eugene Peterson rendered that in the message. Overlook an offense and bond a friendship. Fasten on a slight and goodbye friends. A quiet rebuke to a person of good sense does more than a whack on the head of a fool. Is this conversation going to bring unity and restoration? Is this person ready to even receive this? Can they receive this? Is it gonna bring about something that glorifies and honors God? Is it something that I can forgive but I don't need to confront? Many of our offenses can be forgiven and not confronted. We can confront them within ourselves and before God, but we don't have to go and have a verbal face-to-face -face confrontation. Some of them cannot but oftentimes many of them can. Can I step over this offense? Now you say, Chris, are you saying you need to deny it? Like it never happened? To diminish it? Not at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying, but as it comes to the relationship and going to the person, does everything have to be named with that person? Is it something that has to be confronted? If you can step over it, as the writer of Proverbs says, can you cover the offense and step over it? After all, Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 4, 8, that love covers what? A multitude of sins. If you're able to move on and cover that, asking for forgiveness where you need to, forgiving that person, accepting them, can you confront that but not have to verbalize that and move on? That's the first question. Can I step over this? Here's the second one. Is my motive love and my goal restoration? Again, that's the difference between combat and godly confrontation. Is my motive love and my goal restoration? And be honest about this. 
Is my goal to hurt this person or to help this person? This is tough, especially with sandpaper people. But your role as a Christ follower is to do the deep work of asking these types of questions before you go and verbalize it. Is this really to help them and to help our relationship or just to hurt them because I've been hurt? They hurt me, I wanna hurt them. And guess what that is? That's combat. It's not godly confrontation. Uh, Things like, I gotta get this off my chest, right? Right, we're having some conversation here. I, I, I got to get this off my chest. I got to say this. I, 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 I just need to go and, 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 and say these words and I'll feel better. How many of you have had those conversations or you've said that internal dialogue? I got to get something off my chest. That has nothing to do with what the Bible teaches us. But remember what Paul said, we were going to grow up. And many of us, I'm preaching to myself, many of us need to grow up in the way that we handle confrontation the way that we handle relationships with each other. And it's not about getting something off my chest or, I feel better, I'm so glad that we had that conversation. Now I've I've just sledgehammered you, but I feel great. That has nothing to do with what God is teaching us. The goal is always about helping that person and helping the relationship. Can I truly, back to Ephesians 4, can I truly speak the truth in love into this hurt or this need? Am I asking this, listen to this, am I asking this person to give me something that only God can? When I go and approach them, when I bring up this issue or this word that was spoken, this offense, whatever it is, am I asking them to do something for me that only God can do? If I'm looking to get something from the conversation and not give something, I'm probably not ready to confront the offense. Or I may not be the best person to do so. Listen to that. I may not be the best person to confront this offense with this person. Maybe God will raise up someone else who can go through this exercise and do so. If I'm not in a posture where I want to give to this person and give in the relationship, but I want to get something that's not love. Remember, love is always about what we can do, what we can give. Lust is all about what we can get in any context. And if I'm trying to get something out of the relationship, I'm not ready to have a godly confrontation. Finally here, do I have something to say or something to give? I got something to say. I have something to say to you. If if your conversation begins that way, you're you're on the path to combat. I got something I want to say to you. No. 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 What do I have to give in this conversation, in this relationship? And here's the third question, okay? goes right into this. Am I willing to listen and to learn? Am I willing to listen and to learn? Even from this sandpaper person, am I, re- am I willing to, for them to speak the truth and love to me? Am I willing to hear their perspective of the story? Because remember, they have a version of this story. They have a perspective of this story. You have your perspective, they have their perspective. Are you willing to listen and to learn from their perspective for how they experienced you? Let me ask a couple of sub-questions here under am I willing to listen, am I willing to learn? What if I'm missing something? When you go and confront someone about an issue or something, what if you're missing something? What if there's a part of the story that you don't understand or that you haven't seen? Here's another one. This is a tough one. Could I be wrong? No. Never. Could you be wrong? 
Could you be wrong about this situation? Could you be wrong about how you've assessed this person? Could you be wrong about what you've deemed to be an offense? Are you willing to be wrong? Are you willing to learn and to listen in that way? Here's another one. What's my part in all of this? What's my part in all of this? I'm so hurt, I'm so offended. And when I feel so hurt and so offended, I oftentimes can't see my own hurt and my own offenses in it. What have I said that have, have contributed to this? What things have I done to contribute to this? What am I responsible before the Lord and other people for in this? Here's another one. Have I prayed about this? I know it sounds so, well, I, yeah, I know we got to pray about it. No, no, I mean, have you really taken this offense before the Lord? Have you really asked God to give you wisdom about this? The Bible says if we lack wisdom, we should ask for it. Have we really asked God about this offense, this, this hurt that's come our way? What really is happening here? And to give us his perspective and his wisdom on this? James 1, 19 and 20 says this, everyone must be quick to tweet. No. Everyone must be quick to gossip about this thing that happened. No. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of men does not achieve the righteousness of God. In other words, back to Ephesians 4, if we want to grow up, if we want to become more like Jesus, we've got to learn how to speak the truth and love. And for, watch this. And first and foremost, speaking the truth and love is us listening to that. It's listening to the truth and love first. So have you prayed about this? Are you willing to listen and learn through this situation? Oftentimes, back to the beginning, healthy confrontation, challenging relationships, can, when they're handled in the right way, God's way, can be the pathway to unity, to restoration, to intimacy, if we'll allow God to work in and through those challenging relationships and situations. After all, let me finish here. Jesus didn't condemn us as people, but he certainly confronted our offenses. The bottom line today is that we want to confront the offense and not condemn the person. That's what the gospel teaches us. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save it. But he certainly confronted our sins, our offenses, and he dealt with them. To him alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for making peace between, between us through Jesus. We thank you for the peace that we can have with one another now through the power of Christ at work within us. We want to grow up. We want to grow up in our relationships, even our difficult relationships, to be more like you, Jesus. So may our words be instruments of your truth, always spoken in love with the goal of unity and restoration. May, may our words, especially with our sandpaper people, be scalpels and not, not sledgehammers. Would you give us the wisdom to understand what you're speaking to us today? And in that specific relationship or, or difficulty, give us your wisdom, your perspective. And would you give us also the faith 
to leave this place and to obey. To you alone be the glory forever. Amen.